Hello and welcome to Backline Banter, episode 3. Today will be pretty much the same just as previous episodes. We will have a Premier League summary, Liverpool experience, deep Darwin dive, and we also, and we definitely will this time, have a top 10 list. This game week, game week 25, does have four teams playing twice, which are Liverpool, City, Brentford, and Luton. Therefore, I'm going to break this game week down into two episodes. The first one, which is this one, we will talk about the first seven games of the game week. Then the next one, which will should be released in a couple days, will have the last five. So without further ado, let's get started in the Premier League summary. The Liverpool experience. Liverpool at home versus Brentford. It did end 4-1. Going to go straight into it. So what I saw from the first half, Brentford looked very well. Watching at the start, I was like, ooh, this is going to be not a bit tougher than I thought because I did think Brentford were going to be pretty good. But they were. But I was also hoping Liverpool just to blow them out of the water, which we did end up doing. But the first half quite evenly matched. So I'll go into the chances and then after it, I'll talk a little bit more on some of the talking points and my thoughts. So before Liverpool get our goal that we need, Connor Bradley and Ivan Tony having some decent chances, but nothing clear cut. I mean, Connor Bradley's chance was Pretty good. Nice little dribble. Try to flick a pass Flecken. Flecken a good save, but no goal from it. And same with Tony. A nice just let the ball roll across him and tries to shoot, but just doesn't get that good enough connection and a very tough spot to score in anyway. Darwin Nunez's goal. You love to see him get on the score sheet. What a player. Uh, Van Dyke booted the ball up the field to Jota who does absolutely beautiful, wins the header against Regulon, who just plays it across to Nunez, and Nunez reads the ball, the play, perfectly. He sees that there's only really one Brentford player back, and with Jota winning the ball, you know, taking Regulon out of that situation, allows Nunez just to run straight three, expects Jota to win the header, get the ball, which he does. He's got all the space, all the time in the world, and he takes a few touches and does a beautiful chip shot over Flecken. I'm saying 10 out of 10 chip shot, some of the best you will ever see. And this is because Flecken, he came out and he didn't even like dive or duck down. He was standing tall, arms up, and Nunez was still able to just beautifully scoop it, beautifully chip it straight over him and hit the back of the net. Like, I mean, I'll t- talk a little bit more about this goal in the deep Darwin dive, but yeah, wow, 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 wow. That's all the main chances for the first half. Um, Darwin Nunez subbed off at halftime for Gakpo. Same with Jota and Curtis Jones coming off during the half due to injuries, but I will touch on that after. In the second half, Salah has a really good chance. Van Dyke steps in and wins the header, and with that header, puts Salah through on goal, who should have scored, to be honest, but Flagan puts in a good save. Um, Salah coming back from injury, honestly being on the pitch a bit earlier than Klopp probably would have wanted, than he would have wanted, 
bet he's more than fit enough to do it. And if it wasn't for him being out for a fair few games due to his injury, I would have been very disappointed him not putting in the back of the net. But you've got to cut him a little bit of slack coming back from injury. But luckily for him and for Liverpool, four minutes later, Salah has the ball on the left where he plays a crucial pass to McAllister to break the lines. And McAllister just takes a touch across himself, takes it to the other side of the defender and is able to get a shot away and just gets the toe on it to roll it past Flecken and make the lead 2-0. And it just shows Endo being in the team allows McAllister to go forward so much more because Endo being that holding man and McAllister be able to get in those good spots, causing him to score and giving Liverpool an extended leave. Beautiful pass by Salah, just showing how much he means to the squad and McAllister finishing it well. Another chance a bit later, Kelleher boots the ball up the field, which gets flicked on by Gakpo, similar to the first goal where Jota flicks it on for Nunez, but Gakpo flicks it on into space and Salah puts the burners on and gets on the end of the ball. You would have thought Collins getting to the ball first, but Salah's speed is just unbeatable. Gets the ball first, skips past him, and then manages to find the back of the net with a beauty of a finish to give us a 3-0 lead and kind of putting the game to bed with the three-goal lead. 74th minute, though, Brentford play the ball forward. It's cut back to Regulon, who's in the box and absolutely blasts it at goal which Kelleher makes a fantastic save down to his right. But with so much power on the shot by Regulon, it just bounces back off Kelleher to Tony, who is able to slot in a first-time finish. Bit unlucky for Kelleher for making a really good save and then Tony getting that rebound and finishing it off. But it just shows you as well why Tony is such a good striker and why Brentford has missed him so much because the positions he find, he gets himself into is one of the best and that's why he's so high regarded and wanted by many top teams. 85th minute, Gomez clears his line. He just boots it up to the field to Diaz, but Collins should have intercepted this ball, but he gets it completely wrong, misreads it, allows it to bounce past him, which it ends up going to Diaz, plays the ball across to Gakpo, who takes a touch and absolutely slots the ball into the net. A proper striker finish, calm as you like, never looked like missing, and it's good to see Cody Gakpo on the score sheet, and he has played really well this game. Came on and half time for Nunez, gotten a goal and assist. And sadly for him, hasn't got a lot of game time lately, but it is such a hard forward line to get some game time in with Diaz, Jota, Salah, and Nunez. He's still absolute quality as he shows when he gets his chances, but he will be playing a lot in the weeks to come due to injuries, which will be good to see. And that wraps up the games, wraps up the three points for Liverpool in the 4-1 win. This keeps us first with now on 57 points. The second half for us was very good. We were complete dominant apart from Brentford's goal, which just a bit of luck, bit of lack of communication and but second half very very good quite a fun fact too 
for the game, it is our first league game ever where every single player is from a different nation. So 11 different nations in the starting lineup. And I'll run you through who it was, what nation. So in goal, Kelleher, obviously for Ireland. Bradley at right back for Northern Ireland. Two centre-backs, Canade from France, Van Dijk from Netherlands. Robertson, Scotland. McAllister, Argentina. Endo, Japan. Curtis Jones, English. Diaz, Colombian, Nunez, Uruguayan, and Jota, Portuguese, which is quite fascinating to be honest to every single player from a different nation, and that being the first time ever in Liverpool's Premier League history. I just thought it's a cool stat, I thought I'd mention it, but like I've said, the injury crisis at Liverpool is bad. It is bad and definitely does not help with Jones and Jota picking up injuries, along with Salah and Nunez. So I'll run you through all the players that are injured at the moment. So we have Alison Becker out with a hamstring, is expected to return mid-March, but you never know with the hamstrings and such a crucial player for Alison. I'm very glad we have Kelly Her, who's very good number two keeper to step in for him. Diego Jota picking up the injury this game. It is in fact a knee injury and it is not looking the best. His expected return is mid-April. So about a month and a half, could be two months. So that is not good for him. Obviously, Sabozlai still injured with that hamstring injury. Hopefully, should be back pretty soon though. Trent Alexander-Arnold too, still out with a knee injury, but is expected to return in a few weeks, which that is a positive to take. Darwin Nunez as well. I thought when watching the game, he just got taken off to kind of rest him and just in case if he would to get an injury to prevent it. So he is good for the games coming up. But Klopp saying in an interview after that, Nunez told him that he felt something. So they just told him, yeah, that, well, that's you done. We'll put you on the bench, rest it up. We don't want to risk nothing. And it turns out just to be a bit of mus muscle tightness. So hopefully he's back by the Chelsea game for the Carabao Cup final. But we'll just see how it goes. Hopefully he's back in time, but you don't want to push him and make his injury even more worse. Salah is also a bit of concern for playing the next game. Picked up a little bit of soreness and a bit of match fatigue as well, it is said. So again, just like Nunez, just a bit of day-to-day -to, -day to see how it is. Hopefully he's available for the game against Luton, but we'll see how it goes. And another big one, along with Jota, Curtis Jones, big injury in the first half, taking him off, turns out to be a bone ligament issue. This is expected for him to be out for a few weeks to, to a month, just depending on how well his recovery goes. Not good at the moment for Liverpool. For us, so many injuries at such an important time of the season and a big Carabao Cup final against Chelsea. It's really not going in our favour. A very good win against Brentford, but it does just take the shine off it a little bit with the injuries we have gotten from that game. But hopefully everyone has a fast recovery and is available as soon as can be to finish our title race push. Man of the match for Liverpool's game, I thought 
Kelleher was really good, you know, did some nice saves, but, you know, didn't have to do a lot. Salah, definitely a shout coming on, got a goal and assist, but I'm going to give it to Cody Gakpo, who also came on to get a goal and an assist. But I thought, you know, he doesn't get a lot of recognition and he really should do because he is a quality player. And for him and for him to only have one half, get a goal and assist, taking his chances well, playing his passes good, I thought he definitely deserves to get man of the match for this game. Also, another thing to point out, 250th game for Virgil van Dyke. Like, I mean, I don't need to say much here. What, what, what a player from Southampton to Liverpool since him coming to us has been unreal. He's my favourite centre-back of all time and currently he's the best centre-back in the Premier League and in the world, in my opinion, to be quite frank to be honest, quality week in, week out, what do you expect, you know, next thing you know, he'll be up to 300 and you'll be at the same form because he is an absolute tank. There we go and that's all we have for the Liverpool experience, a bit shorter this time, a lot to talk about but I do want to kind of speed through this one because there is a lot to get through and Liverpool do play in a couple days so we're going to talk a lot more again about them so bit of a quick summary there but still in depth still very good especially if you're a Liverpool fan the deep Darwin dive again it is going to be a bit shorter same as the Liverpool experience this one also due to Darwin only playing half a game and I've talked about him already so like I said, he played the first half, 18 touches, a beautiful goal, like I said, which I'm just going to touch on again, just so much time and, you know, I expected him to score, but then it's always just in the back of the head, the amount of chances he has this, he has had this season and sadly missed, I thought, oh, maybe and please don't be another one of those, but he takes it beautifully in style as well the big Uruguayan doing the job and yeah phenomenal chip you don't see many like it in these days and absolute 10 out of 10 shot pure class but Nunez I do expect him to be back in the game against Chelsea maybe just on the bench against Luton and possibly not coming on just due to his muscle tightness which I touched on but we'll see how it goes and I'm looking forward to the Luton game at the time of recording this we do play tomorrow morning in my time so I'll get up it's a beautiful 6:30 kickoff perfect time for me because I, I do like the 7am kickoffs but I do miss the last 20 minutes because I do have to go to school. So the 6.30, a bit earlier, be able to watch the whole game. It will be very good. And to be honest, it is at home and it is against Luton, but it's going to be a close game, especially with our injury crisis and Luton in really good form at the moment. It will be a lot tougher game than you do think. And yeah, apologies for these segments being a bit quicker than usual, but there's a fair few games to get through. And then I've also... Going to have another episode out pretty soon. Next couple of days it should be. So you should have a lot of content 
frequently and it's a bit hard to talk about a lot about Nunez when he does only end up playing one half of the game. So we will move on. We have Burnley versus Arsenal. Wow. Again, wow. What do you expect? Arsenal beat Burnley 5-0. Since Arsenal beating Liverpool, they have then bet West Ham 6-0 and now Burnley 5-0, which there is nothing better when a team has their forward line, all of them, and even the midfield as well, scoring. It just makes everything flow super nicely. Every chance you get, you score. And when you come against those tougher games against the top league teams, more than likely you're going to take those chances because you're so used to scoring so many, getting all these chances and putting a lot of them away. This win does indeed put them into second place, putting them above City as they drew to Chelsea, which we will touch on later on. But City in second with 55 points, City on 53 points, and Liverpool on top with 57. But with Arsenal scoring so many goals lately, they now have the best goal difference in the league with positive 36. Liverpool do have positive 35, only one less, and City a positive 32. But these few games definitely help, and with such a close title race coming up, it could well be decided by goal difference. For this game, since Arsenal just completely dominated, I'm just going to run through the goals. First four minutes, Declan Rice plays Martinelli on the left, who plays a beautiful outside of the football to the top of the box to Odegaard, who just takes a touch to set himself, absolutely puts his laces through it for a very good finish to start them 1-0 up. Their second goal, Havertz gets played the ball in the box, passes to Trossard, who just skips past Asignon, but Asignon tries to get the ball, but like I said, Trossard skips past him, and Asignon, instead of getting the ball, ends up getting his feet, which is a penalty, that is definitely for sure. Saka steps up to take the penalty, and routine from him now. He's scored so many penalties this season. He just jogs up to the ball and puts it into the bottom right corner. I honestly thought Trafford could have saved this one. He dived the right way, but he kind of stuttered or second-guessed himself. Like, he didn't dive straight away. I think he was expecting Saka to maybe, you know, do a little feint or take, you know, a couple more little steps up into the ball. So then he would see Trafford dive into the right and then just put it on the left. But he didn't. He just completely just jogged up, very fluent and banging to the goal and 2-0. Then start of the second half, Saka gets a ball in the box by Odegaard and absolutely rockets it into the top netting. Blasts it past Trafford and completely puts the game to bed now. 3-0. There is a whole another half to play, but you just do not see Burnley getting anything out of this game. The last two goals is Trossard scores one inside the box on the right and just curls it into the left corner. And for the last one, Havertz scores. He finds himself in so much room and gets the ball from a long throw-in. And as we know, you cannot be offside throw him a throw in. So he just runs in, dribbles a little bit and just finishes it past Trafford. None of the defenders being able to come back 
and close him down. This makes it Arsenal's fifth win in a row. And with a big game against Porto in the Champions League on Thursday at Porto's ground, in such good run of form, you can say they are going to do very well against them. You would have thought maybe if it was at home, you could even be asking the question, could they put it to bed in the first game? But since it is at Porto, it's going to be a bit more difficult for them. But like I say, the fire form they are in at the moment, you just expect them to kind of roll them a bit more. You know, Porto will put up a good fight, but I don't think it will stop Arsenal. Next game, Fulham 1, Aston Villa 2. Last time they were at the Fulham Stadium, Gerrard managed his last game and got the sack a couple hours after their defeat there. And you could say was the start of Unai Emery's journey at Villa. And since him joining for Villa, he has done a phenomenal job. Like you would have never expected last season, the way they were with Gerrard, that they would be in fourth place this season, just two points above Spurs. This win also makes it their 10th win in a row against London clubs in the Prem. So Arsenal, Chelsea, Spurs, West Ham, Fulham, Crystal Palace and Brentford, they have just rolled past and and showed that they are just the dominant London club. A minute into the game, Aston Villa start really well with Watkins putting the ball into the back of the net. But sadly for Villa, it does not count because he is offside. Not too long later, Tim Ream does the exact same as Watkins, puts the ball into the back of the net, but again, he is offside. Then Aston Villa's goal, a horrible throw in by Robertson to try and find Willian in the middle. But like I say, horrible throw in, just overthrows it, throws it past him. Willian can't do anything. Ramsey snatches the ball plays it to Watkins, who does a nice turn to turn his back away from goal and rolls it into the back of the net. Really good finish, and Diop just couldn't get a tackle on him. Two quick feet, good finish, and Villa put themselves 1-0 in front. A few minutes later, Bailey makes nothing into something. He gets the ball on the right, nutmegs Robertson, which he finds himself in a bit of space and has a beauty of a ping outside the box, the shot is dipping down, but can't dip just enough and hits the crossbar, but so close. It looked like just such a nice, fluent move in motion to the nutmeg, to the shot. And if that went in, that could have been one of the goals of the season. But like I said, it could have been. I think Garnacho's bicycle kick was better than that, but it still would have been a phenomenal goal. For the fourth time of the game, another ball into the back of the net. But just like the other two times, Moreno is offside. A corner got whipped in. Watkins, who flicked it over to Moreno, who headers it home, but Moreno just a bit offside, and this one's a lot clearer than the others. But both teams having good chances, and Villa finishing one, but Fulham can't find their goal. Right at the end of the half, Watkins intercepts the ball and drives forwards, plays Tillemans into the box, and Leno with a great save to deny him right before the half. At the start of the second half, big shouts of back pass by Aston Villa. Douglas Louise plays it back to Martinelli. 
I don't think it's a back pass because so there was a Fulham player next to him and the ball in the air and he just kind of got a foot in it to kind of clear it and just to not make sure the Fulham player gets it. It ends up going all the way back to Martinez who just picks it up and yeah I don't I don't think it's a back pass. I think it would be very harsh if you called it a back pass because Douglas Luiz is not trying to play it back to the keeper. He's just trying to kick it away. Fortunately enough for Villa, um, it goes to Martinez and it's not cold as a back pass. 55th minute now, Ollie Watkins makes a good run to get the ball short while being man-marked, but it's just a beautiful fake and just completely turns around and sprints towards goal, creating so much space behind him as he dragged Diop with him when he went to receive the ball short and gets the ball with him running into goal. Diop can't catch him and he absolutely fires it past Leno for their second goal of the game and the second goal for Ollie Watkins. And we've just got to touch on him for a little bit. Absolutely fire form at the moment. He is doing a job and a half for Aston Villa. This season in the Premier League, he has now got 13 goals and 10 assists. Talk about the main man being involved. Wow, 23 goal involvements. He is just in great form. And if he keeps this form up until the end of the season and when the Euros comes around, you could genuinely ask, could he start over Harry Kane? I know Harry Kane's doing very well in the Bundesliga at the moment. Bayern Munich, not so much. But Ollie Watkins doing it in the, you know, it's debatable, but I think a lot of people agree with it. The hardest league in the world, 13 goals, 10 assists, just a complete target number nine who can play the ball, who can come deep to try and get it, you know, like he did for the goal to make his space and it also just fires him into the back of the net. You can't ask much more. And Aston Villa, so grateful to have him and 2 0 to Villa. Then not too long later, Fulham respond from absolutely nowhere. Robertson makes a run down the left and gets played the ball, puts a short cross in and just like the last game with Fulham versus Bournemouth, Zabani and Neto with Muniz getting his finishing touch in, you know, coming on and, you know, like I said last week, Zabani and Neto who kind of just leave it for each other and expect no one really to be around to get a touch on it, which Muniz did get in that game. The same thing kind of happening with Martinez and Langley, who Langley is in prime position. And like I said, with all the other goals, with the centre-back goalkeeper error, the centre-back just should tap it clear, boot it clear, try, try kick it out for a throw-in, but if you have to, kick it out for a goal kick. And yeah, they just leave that time to... Or, yeah, yeah, I'm going to leave it to Martinez, you know, rushing out. But Muniz, once again, just gets ahead of Martinez and gets that finishing touch to put it into the back of the net and give Fulham a way back into this game. Near the end of the game, last chance for Fulham to scrape a point. Muniz, who is in great, great form at the moment, who has four goals in his past three games, slips it through to Adama Traore, who should score in the box, a really good opportunity, 
But Martinez does a fantastic save and it just shows why he got the Yashin Trophy a few months ago, just showing that he is one of the best keepers in the world at the moment. Alisson better, but you know, good on Martinez. Definitely saved Villa, that's for sure. Full-time, Villa win 2-1 against Fulham. This makes it Emery's 30th win in 50 games in charge. And that just shows how well he has done. 50 games, 30 of them wins. And with the team he came into Villa with, he has turned it round, you could say. They were looking, they were looking at relegation, but now they are looking like they are flying for European spots. And to be honest, they could get that Champions League fourth spot. They are two points ahead of Spurs. Um, they're looking good. They're above Man U by five points. And it's going to be a good battle between Spurs and Villa. And even maybe Man United if they keep in good form. But it will be interesting to see who gets that fourth spot to go into the Champions League next season. Nottingham Forest 2-0 at home against West Ham. A game where, to be honest, with the forms of both teams sitting on pretty similar level. Obviously, West Ham much higher in the league on 9th and Nottingham Forest 16th in the league. But recently, West Ham not been very great and Forest looking a lot better than they have been this start of the season. And what do you know? Forest end up winning 2-0. Early on, Nuno Tavares whips in a ball to Alanga, who shoots first time and is saved well by Ariola. Lately, though, the Portuguese left back for Forest, Nuno Tavares, has been really good for them. I've seen whenever I watch, you know, some of the highlights, a bit of the game, he's always getting forward, whipping it across, getting in nice opportunities, but then also doing the defensive job really well. And he is on loan from Arsenal, but maybe Forrest might look at signing him permanently. Or what will probably happen, Arsenal just get him back at the end of the season and he possibly starts left back over Zinchenko and Kiwar. 28th minute though, Antonio has a really good chance. He gets a ball from Felipe, who gets his pass completely wrong. He's on the halfway line, and he just tries to pass it all the way back to the keeper, but completely mishits it, like I said, and gets the ball to about three meters in front of him, which lets Antonio just sprint past him, get the ball on the way and with so much time, so much space in front of him, he just continues to dribble. He's thinking, what should I do? Murillo's in front of him. Do I go left? Do I go right of him? And honestly, too much time to decide and gets a bit caught in two minds, not sure what to do. And Murillo is able to get a foot stuck in when Antonio is trying to cut inside. Big chance for West Ham and Antonio but you got to cut him a bit of slack. First game back from injury. He hasn't played for, for about two months. A big miss for West Ham. It has been um, obviously due to his knee injury. I'm a, bit, I'm a big fan of Mikel Antonio, to be honest. Um, a big part of it is because I listen to Mikel Antonio and Callum's Wilson's football podcast, which I really like. And before that, even, I just, he's, you know, seems like a good bloke, very good scorer for West Ham, a West Ham legend, to be honest. With all of his experience, you do expect him to score. But again, coming back from injury, first game, 
cut him a bit of slack. Right at the end of the half though, Dominguez receives the ball outside the box and plays a rocket pass to a one-year who takes a fabulous touch to give him a chance to shoot and scores right through the keeper's legs and probably deservedly so. You know, it's been a close game, but Forrest have had the better chances, bit more of the ball, and yeah, Awanyi takes it beautifully. Dominguez does well by picking him out and gives Forrest the lead right at the end of the half. 67th minute, Calvin Phillips receives a yellow card and it's a stupid yellow. He just pushes Dominguez to the ground and just because Phillips got a free kick and Dominguez is just trying to stop him from playing quick and trying to get the ball from him and just puts him to the ground like there's no need. I understand the frustration, him wanting to play quick and Dominguez not allowing him but you don't need to push him all the way into the ground and you yourself receive a yellow card. It's just silly and what do you know that silly yellow card does cost him. Two minutes later, he receives a second yellow card for a challenge on Gibbs White, which in my opinion, I looked at the replay for a while, just seeing is there enough contact for a yellow card. A foul, yes. A yellow, I think he is quite unlucky to receive because there is such minimal contact on Gibbs White by Phillips. That's why I think... It was a foul because there was contact, but I don't think there was enough contact for Phillips to receive his second yellow card. But he does, and the game's a game. Gibbs White does well by, you know, falling straight to the ground, making a bit of a meal out of it, but that's just how the game is these days. And Phillips shouldn't have even put himself into that position with him already having his first yellow card and gets his second and really just adds onto his poor start with West Ham. Not looking very good, but hopefully he comes back after his red card and turns the switch on and starts playing really well for West Ham. But this does make West Ham down to 10 men and makes it very much harder to get themselves back into the game and gives Forrest a lot of a better chance to get another goal and give themselves an extra lead. And what do you know, Forrest have a few chances, comes to nothing until West Ham go forward. They have a shot and it bounces straight to Forrest who is on the break and as West Ham are down to 10 men and they're trying to get that equalizing goal, a lot of their players forward, only one back. Danilo just plays Hudson-Odoi who dribbles through, plays it back into the middle of the box to Alanga completely by himself, should score, but completely fluffs it and hits it over the bar. Alanga being in pretty good form at the moment, you do expect him to score, but just unable to get the technique right and Forrest not getting their second goal yet. Two minutes later, Forrest wrap up the three points with Hudson-Odoi scoring late on to make it 2-0. He gets the ball at the far post from a little touch by Alanga that which helps it on to Adoy, who just fires it home. With those three points though, Forrest are now five points above the relegation zone. A good win by Forrest and deserved, although West Ham, you could think maybe they could have done something if they didn't go down to 10 men, but it's not the case. The game is a game sometimes and West Ham make it eight games now in all competitions without winning. 
Newcastle 2, Bournemouth 2. In the first four minutes of this game, Newcastle have a pretty decent chance. Trippier has a throw into Longstaff, who plays it straight back to Trips, who whips in a lethal ball into the box. It has a bounce, and Zabani can't get it out. Anthony gets on the end, but the ball just doesn't bounce back high enough to give Anthony good purchase on the ball, who headers it into the ground and wide of the goals. A couple of minutes later, Anthony Gordon once again being involved in the attack. He's pressing Zabani very well, who, which Anthony Gordon does so well. He does so, so much running in every game, you know, constantly up and down that left. And Newcastle's press is not bad, but Anthony Gordon's press is really good. And he makes Zabani play back to Neto, who is just too calm on the ball and tries to pass it out. But Anthony Gordon sprinting back to Neto, gets a touch from Neto's pass, but bounces wide of the goal. And you have seen chances like that where the keeper has the ball back, they hit it long, and that opposition player, their attacker, just sprints through, gets a little touch, and it deflects back into the goals. But not the case for Gordon, but good work rate from him. 16th minute, a lot of chances happening early on. This one for Bournemouth. Neto whacks the ball up the field to Semenyo, who lays it down to Cook, who plays a killer ball through to Cliver, who dribbles a bit, then plays it across to the big man, the main man for Bournemouth, Dominic Solanke, who is in a position where you would 100% expect him to score. And with his form, with his talent lately, you'd think he would definitely put it into the back of the net. But Dubrovka makes a massive save down to his left and keeps the game level. But Dominic Solanke should do a little bit better to get it past Dubrovka. Big chance for Bournemouth. Bournemouth once again with another big chance. Tavernier receives the ball on the left, who whips across into Solanke, which once again... You think he would score in the position he is to get that just little final touch past Dubrovka, but he just can't get it either side of the keeper and hits it into Dubrovka, who makes, you know, a pretty decent save. You know, he's in the right position. And again, another chance where you expect Dominic Solanke to put away and really, he should have two goals and Bournemouth be 2-0 up. But not his day for him, it seems, and still 0-0. But luckily for Solanke, you never, ever give up, even if you've missed a fair few chances. And Darwin Nunez is a prime example of that. In the second half, Botman plays a back pass to Dubrovka, who's under pressure. Dubrovka takes a touch and then slips and Solanke just runs onto the ball and taps it home. So unlucky by Dubrovka as he's been decent at the moment and stopping Solanke from scoring. But takes that touch, you know, looks up, about to just boot it clear, but just slips and allows Solanke just to tap it home and finally get his goal for the night. It's quite funny to think that it's his first goal for Solanke this game and he probably should have a hat trick by now. But that's just how she goes sometimes. Then Newcastle have a free kick, which they whip in. But Smith, the Bournemouth player, gives away a penalty by holding Bruno Guimarães by the shirt. 
My thoughts on it is that it is a penalty. I think if he let go maybe just a second earlier or even maybe half a second earlier, he would have been fine. But he just held onto his shirt just for that too long and just stopped Bruno from running in and possibly getting his head on the end of the bowl. So Anthony Gordon steps up to take the pen and slots it home bottom right. 68th minute, Semenyo receives the ball on the left, dribbles a little bit. Dan Byrne is the only player in front of him who he does some nice little footwork. Dan Byrne just allows him a little bit too much space, enough space for Semenyo to have a shot, which he does a beautiful shot across the goal to put Bournemouth in front at St. James's Park. And yeah, wow, what a finish by Semenyo. A bit of poor defending by Dan Byrne just allows Semenyo to get his shot away. Should be a bit more closer, but it does make it hard for Dan Byrne. You know, definitely Semenyo have a, having a lot more pace than Byrne, but he's still got to do a lot better and close him down, be closer to him so he can't get that. Or even if he does go for the shot, you get the block in. But Bournemouth 2-1 in front. Then some late minute drama in the 91st minute, Matt Ritchie who comes on, the man who has been at the club since 2016, he gets on the end of an inviting cross by Bruno Guimaraes who headers it, pretty poor header, gets it wrong but it hits a Bournemouth player, ricochets to Neto which bounces off Neto straight back to Matt Ritchie who fires it home, an easy finish, who puts them level two goals to two. His first goal in four years. And Newcastle quickly get the ball back to the half, wanting to look for that winner, but they are unable to do so. And Matt Ritchie gets a goal to scrap Newcastle, a point against Bournemouth. Very unlucky this game, Bournemouth. Definitely, if they took their chances, they would have won. You know, if Solanke scored his two, they definitely would have been one. Even if he got one, they would have won. Newcastle, a bit of trouble at the moment. A bit of trouble, well, really, a bit of trouble lately. They really haven't been at their best. And especially at St. James's Park against Bournemouth, you would expect them to do a lot better, but it's just not the case. And you just see them slowly and slowly slip down the table a little bit more. They now sit in eighth place, one point below Brighton in seventh and one point above West Ham in ninth. Spurs one, Wolves two. At the start of this game, you do expect a pretty close game, but you would think since it being at Spurs' home ground that they would be able to get the job done but that is not the case. Unlucky for Wolves, Cunha not in the squad, out with a hamstring injury, but good for them that Huang Hee-Chan is back into the side from the Asian Cup. Spurs start off the game with a decent chance, comes to nothing, but Wolves gets the first really good chance of the game. Sarabia plays Amado into the box, who has a good shot at goal, but it's well saved by Vicario. But it falls to Huang Hee-Chan, but he puts the ball over the goal. The goal completely at his mercy and you really do 
expect him to score, but just gets it wrong. Tottenham very lucky to get away with that chance. Just before the half though, Wolves have a corner taken by Sarabia that picks out Jao Gomez who is completely unmarked and just jumps and finds the top left corner. Completely unsavable, good header, good corner and Wolves get their one goal lead before half time. 40 seconds into the second half. Tottenham coming out flying. Ange Postacoglu wants them to get a goal early on to get them back into the game, which they do exactly that. Emerson Royale has a throw in, throws it to Richarlison in the box, who tries to pass it just below him, but is intercepted by a Wolves player. It falls to Dejan Kulisevsky, who just skips past Dawson. And with a really tight angle and no real chance to put it either side of the goalkeeper, just slips it through Jose Sarr's legs to score. Spurs' first shot of the game and they score with it to level it back up to 1-1. Unlucky for Wolves as they have been the better team, but the start of the second half, Spurs have come out to make something of it. Big chance for Wolves, 55 minutes in. Semedo gets the ball on the right, which plays a beautiful ball into the box to Sarabia, who takes it first time and should score, should put it into the back of the net past Vicario, but Vicario manages to get a good save on it, good hand, and really, it's just not a good effort by Sarabia. Not good enough to the Premier League standards, and the game continues 1-1. 10 minutes later, though, a corner taken by Madison, who whips it in, but it gets cleared by a Wolves player. Zhao Gomez gets it on the edge of the box, plays it to Neto, who absolutely drives down pretty much one box to another. He uses his blistering pace to get all the way into Spurs' box, which he cuts back to the man who played him through at the start, Joao Gomez, who does really well to put the burners on to give that extra support to Pedro Neto, which he receives the ball from his cutback and just fires it home first time to give Wolves the lead 2-1. Right at the end of the game, Davies gets a chance with a header, finds some space, gets the ball played right on top of his head, but gets his header completely wrong and off target it goes. That's full time, Wolves beating Spurs 2-1. With the three points, Wolves stay in 11th, but move on the same amount of points as Chelsea, and with only a three goal difference separating the sides from that 10th spot. The loss for Tottenham and the no win of any points drops Tottenham down to fourth with Villa's win, like I said, puts them into fourth and Tottenham just not playing as high standard as you expect them to do. Bit of an off game for them and you'd think next game for Ange Postacoglu against Palace that they bounce back and win the three points. But a day to forget and one to move on from. The last game for this first episode for kind of half the game week 25 is Manchester City 1, Chelsea 1. The first time they played each other at the start of the season was one of the best games of the season, ending in a 4-4 draw at Stamford Bridge 
And if you can't remember Palmer scoring an ice cold pen at the end of the game, I was so, so glad when I saw this result because all I want is for City to drop points and Liverpool to get three points. And seeing this, oh mate, it just put a smile to my face. This now means that this now means City is four points below Liverpool with a game in hand. So say they do win that, they will still be one point behind us, which is really good. So it means all we have to do is just win all our games. It's down to us. We don't have to rely on City dropping any more points. But obviously, I hope they do. Makes it a bit easier for us. But yeah, I game where you didn't really see coming. Chelsea seemed to do pretty well against the top six teams, but can't get it done a lot of the time against the mid-table teams or even the lower table teams. So very surprised by this result. And I will run you through the chances. 11 minutes in, Doku plays in Alvarez, which does a near perfect cross to Haaland, who you've seen so many times in the position, him jumping, the ball in the air, and him headering it straight into the goal. But this time, he fires it over the net. Very surprisingly, so many times last season in that chance, him just jumping, headers it down, and it's a goal, 1-0 to start it off. But this chance, he misses, surprisingly. Later on, Chelsea get a brilliant chance. Cole Palmer drops deep to receive the ball and turns and sees Gusto making a great run unmarked, which he plays Gusto through, running down on the right, who plays the ball across in the middle to Jackson by himself, but just can't sort his feet out. He takes just a bit too heavy of a touch, allowing Edison to come out and block his very tame shot as Edison was so close to him. Big chance for Chelsea. Jackson making a bit of a mess for it, but good signs for Chelsea by having a good attack. A bit later, City have a corner. Whipped in by De Bruyne, Petrovic just punches it away, but at the back post, Cheerwell and Haaland in a little battle, well, really Cheerwell, just in a battle with him, he holds onto Haaland to stop him jumping and takes both of them to ground. VAR has a look if it is a penalty or not, but they do dismiss it. And it's one where anywhere else on the pitch, it is a foul. But because it's in the box and it will more than likely lead to a goal, they have a look at it, mm, oh, maybe that's a bit too harsh. But in my opinion, Cheerwell holds on to him just that little too long and does, you know, put him to ground. And especially with the Newcastle Bournemouth game, having a very similar situation happen with Smith and Guimaraes, and that being given as a penalty, you would think this would as well be given as a pen, just to keep that consistency. But it isn't, and you know, I'm not complaining because you know, Liverpool fan and that, but I would be complaining if I was a City fan. They're very unlucky not to get a penalty. Everybody has chances where they get a bit hard done by, you know, referees not very consistent, and, you know, is what it is. Game stays nil-nil. Near the end of the half, De Bruyne whips the ball to Alvarez, who just can't get his shot right on the volley. And Gusto takes a ball, which he passes to Jackson, who does a neat Ronaldo chop pass to Cole Palmer out wide. 
dragging two city players with him, Jackson, creating so much space behind him, which he just turns around and sprints forward to receive it back from Palmer, which he runs forwards and does a perfect pass across the pitch to Sterling, who finds himself in the box with Walker to beat, which he does, just cuts back inside and curls it into the corner to score to give Chelsea the 1-0 lead. The former City man won four Premier League titles with them, is a man that puts them a goal down. This now makes it City's ninth time in their last 13 Premier League games where they have conceded the first goal. Like I said last week, they have been leaking in some goals and wow, that fact tells you all you need to know. A lot of those games though, they have managed just to pull it back and kind of do what Liverpool did at the start of the season, conceded a lot of the time the first goal, but they come out that second goal and manage to get two or three to win them the game and City do exactly that. But can they do it this game? Start of the second half, City come out firing as they should do. Guardiola, I reckon, would have, you know, slammed him a little bit, you know, would have said, boys, this is not good enough. You need to be a lot better. The treble winners of last season, you expect a lot more from them, which they do exactly that. From their attack and start, it actually leads to another penalty shout for City. Walker is played the ball in the box and Sterling runs for the ball as well. Walker puts his foot out for the ball and he doesn't get the ball, but he, you know, puts it out to try and, you know, his next touch to get it. And Sterling runs straight into his foot and puts both of them to ground, tripping over each other. Well, Sterling tripping on Walker and Walker from the contact going down. VAR does have a look at it, but it's given a no penalty, which I think this one is the right call because no, none of them have possession of the ball. You know, Walker doesn't get a touch of the ball. He just tries to kind of put his foot out to get the ball, which he doesn't. And Sterling just runs into it and trips over. So both of them just kind of ruining it for each other. And again, yeah, no one possession with the ball, so no penalty. A few minutes later though, City find themselves on the break with Foden, who puts a cross into the box to Haaland, who gets his volley completely wrong. Doesn't really connect with it properly and couldn't sort his feet out properly with him jumping and getting the volley away. And he puts it wide. Another chance where you don't fully expect him to score, but you do expect him to do a lot better. At least get it on target. City, though, keep piling on the pressure and have numerous chances, but no clear-cut ones. Until the 77th minute, De Bruyne once again whips across straight to the head of Haaland. And another amazing Heading chance for Haaland. Gets on the end of it, but misses the target again. Which, the chance he was in, you have to see it. You would have bet your life savings on him scoring that. Genuinely, such a good chance. You would have seen last season him do the same thing so many times last season. But instead, he puts it into the back of the net. You know, those headed chances crossed up by De Bruyne and him scoring. But this one, 
he just gets wrong just like he has done today, not being at his best again. And you could say two massive headed chance where he should score and one volley chance where he should do a lot better. It's just not Harlan's day. I guess he's just slowly becoming more human and a bit less robotic. But yeah, I'm, when I saw that, I was in shock that he did not put it in the back of the net. And Chelsea still one goal lead to nil. But City keep on pushing and many, many chances after another. City finally score the equaliser thanks to Rodri. The ball does a bit of a ping pong and falls into the path of Rodri in the box who just smacks it home and finally get their goal to equalize it. Right at the end of the game though, there is another penalty shout, this time of handball by Colwell. VAR has a look at it but does not give it once again. And I think this is also the right call because it does touch his hand and then he kind of does like flick it and, you know, definitely does make the ball move where it wouldn't have if it wasn't for his hand. But Stones is falling onto him. His hand is in a natural position. He's got no idea where the ball is. So I think that would be very harsh to call that a handball. And that being the last real chance, the game ends as a draw. City won, Chelsea won. The points are shared. A good point won by Chelsea and City just not able to finish their chances to win themselves three points. With this season being such a close title race, those chances missed by Haaland could be very, very cost effective. And to be honest, the game against City and Liverpool on the 11th of March will have a massive part to play in the title. A big six-pointer of a game, and that will be one of, one of the deciding games, at least. Not too much to worry by City, as you do expect them to win their game in hand to just be one point below Liverpool. But with them being on an 11-game winning streak in all competitions prior to this game, you would have thought they do win and wrap up the three points, especially at home. And that is all the games for the Premier League summary this episode. Like I said at the start, it's 12 games all up this game week, so I thought I'll break it up into two episodes because, you know, the games are a bit spread out as well, so I try to get this out as... Top 10 list. And for today, it is a top 10 current fullbacks in the Premier League. I've spent a bit of time compiling this list together. I did a few changes just before and I think this is a proper list. I mean, as I should, because I made it my opinion, I think this is a very good top 10 list. So to kick it off in number 10 spot, I have Walker. He has played 23 games, gotten two assists, but I just... I honestly, I think he's getting a bit old. He's just not as good as what he used to be. And, you know, still good enough to make the top 10 and still being one of City's better fullbacks. But this season, I've just found, you know, his attacking runs and crosses, he hasn't done as many and they haven't been as good. His defending still been solid, but has been beaten a few times this season. And... Like I said, maybe age 
has a big part to do with it. But I think you could have argued last season him being a lot higher up. This season though, 10th is quite a deserved place for him. In 9th, I have Joe Gomez. <laughs> now, now, I know what you might say. Some people will be absolutely livid with this shout being how can you put Gomez above Walker in ninth place well I'll tell you why so he hasn't played as many games he's played 21 and he's only started 11 of them and only gotten one assist but that is not why I have put him in the reason I have put him in is because Liverpool needed a left back. And with Robertson getting in injured, Simicast playing a couple games, and then him getting injured too, he needed to step up and play a left back spot, which he's play played a few right back games prior to that, but never at left back. And he slotted in there and he has been playing amazing at left back spot. That's why also I have named this top 10 current Premier League players, but it's also kind of based on the whole season too. And lately, Gomez has been on fire. I do think Robertson will take his spot though. I mean, he did start the Brentford game ahead of him, but I just think him coming in, never playing left back before, he has done a really good job for us when we've needed him. And yeah, of course, this is a bit of Liverpool biased. Um, I did actually <laughs> have him in sixth place and above the next three players that I'm about to say, but I had a look at it just before and I thought okay now that's a bit silly but above Walker I think is pretty fair I think skill ability at the moment very similar who would I rather have I would rather Gomez so that is why he's my ninth Premier League fullbacks this season in eighth which I think is a very deserved spot. I thought he should definitely be in the top 10 list is Robertson. He's played 24 games, five assists, and he's just been really, really good for Fulham. I always see him, you know, attacking down that left for Fulham, whipping in the ball. Him and Williams link up is phenomenal. And yeah, again, he can do the defensive job. He did make a mistake against Villa with his throw-in, but other than that, he has been solid, like very deserved eighth place. I think he's quite underrated, to be honest. And I mean, Fulham will stay up, but possibly he could be looking for a, a bit of a bigger team to move into because I think he definitely has the ability to do so. He kind of reminds me a bit of Robertson. Obviously not as good, but I think if, you know, a top team needs a left back, I think Robertson is a very good person to get because I think very good fullback and will do a job. And number seven, just above Robertson, like slightly above him, I have got Diego Dalot. He's played 23, one goal, and to assist and now actually actually I'm going to change it I'm going to change it live podcast I'm changing it Dalot in eighth Robertson in seventh I'm just thinking about it now yes Dalot has been one of Man United's better defenders and you know played a lot of games very similar to Robertson but Man United and you know Diego Dalot they have conceded a lot of goals and I know you can say well Robertson has done the same as well which Yes, he has. He might have, he probably has conceded more goals, to be honest, but he's playing for Fulham. You know, you've got to put it into context with, you know, the team that they're playing for. And lately, 
Dalo, you know, I would say put him above him because especially with Man United at the moment, they have been doing pretty well. But taking in the whole season, Robertson has been better from Dalo. So I will put Robertson 7th and Dalo 8th, a little change there. But Dalo still a solid right back. He does very well, a very consistent player, you know, always, you know, a 6, a 7 out of 10 and definitely deserved in this top 10 list. Um, but eighth place instead of seventh, and Robertson moved to seventh place. In number six, I have Ben White. He's played 24 games, got a goal, two assists, and he's just been really, really solid for Arsenal. You know, again, another player. I mean, all these players in the list always expect seven, eight out of ten, six, seven, eight out of ten kind of thing. And yeah, just really solid. Been a very, very big part of Arsenal's defense. So he deserves sixth place. At number five, I have Udogi for Spurs. He's played 21, two goals and three assists. And I hope that's how you pronounce it. I'm pretty sure Udogi. Yeah, or Udoji. Yeah, something like that. But anyway, he has been really, really good for Spurs. You know, coming in this season, absolutely cooking a storm over at Spurs. I think really good player, young. His attacking presence is really good. He gets forward so much, puts in good crosses and even getting chances to score, which he has gotten two goals. But his defensive play is so good as well. You know, he's so quick too. And he's just a really complete fullback and a very, very promising career ahead of him and and deserves fifth place. He really does. In at number four, I have Ake. He's played 20 games, gotten two goals and two assists. Now, I know sometimes he does play in a bit of a centre-back role, but a lot of more than... More than not, he plays as that fullback. And again, just very solid. I think, in my opinion, City's best fullback. Him and Akanji, very similar level, but I'd say Akanji is a lot more of a center defender, you know, slash CDM. Um, doesn't really play out wide very much, where Ake does a lot. And yeah, I think Ake just gives that City team that, you know, extra attack and threat, extra ability, I think is really, really good, solid defensively, but then again, good in attack, just above Udogi, in my opinion, they could very well just change as well, but I think Ake, just above, you know, playing for the better team, doing a good job for City, and like, it's so hard to get into that team and play, you know, pretty consistently, and with him, you know, 20, 20 games, he definitely deserves fourth place. Moving into third place of the list, I have Kieran Trippier. 23 games, one goal, and 10 assists. Now, you could argue that he could be in the top two. And it's a fair argument. It, it is, it is. You know, you just got to think, you know, he's been solid. He really has a goal and the big thing here, 10 assists for a right back for Trippier, really good. But why he's not in that top two spot, he concedes a lot of goals. I know a lot of the goals that they do concede aren't mainly his fault, but being in a back line where they concede a fair few goals, I just can't put him in that top two. But his defensive play is solid, I will give him that. 
and his attacking play is even better. Once again, the 10 assists really says it all. So a well-deserved podium spot in the third. Second, I have a person who I think is actually very underrated, Pedro Porro. Seven assists, and he's played 23, started all of them that he can play. And same with Udogi. He has come in and made that Spurs backline so much solider. His defensive work is incredible. His attacking is even better. And he's just one of those out-and-out right-backs who always has a good performance. He might have a bit of a stinker here and there, but it would only be one game out of a 38-game season. What a pickup for Spurs. They got him last season from Sporting Lisbon, and first season, it didn't do amazing, I'd say. It wasn't really the right formation. Conte didn't really play the proper ball. Um, played him as a right wing back, but it just wasn't really working. But Pedro Porro under Ange Postacoglu in the back four is very solid, very underrated again. And you need to look out for this guy because, mate, second place in the top 10 fullbacks, like he is very good. But of course, in number one spot, the best fullback in the Premier League currently is Trent Alexander-Arnold. He's played 21 games, two goals and four assists. Now, now there is not as many goal or assist contributions as a, a Trippier, or, and it's very similar to the other players on the list, but it's not even just the goals and assists from him. It's his movement into the midfield. He's attacking on the right, and this season he has been unbeatable. Defensive, maybe a couple games where it was a bit, hmm, how, how are you going? Like a bit of like what Trent was last season. But this season, he's really shorted up. And yes, that is due to Liverpool having a stronger backline completely. So they don't have as many attacks putting Trent under pressure. But without Trent this season, we would have lost a fair few points. Some crucial goals, crucial assists. And I don't even need to say much, really. He is just absolute quality, the highest quality there can be and well deserves number one spot. Number one spot puts in an eight out of ten game every week. And yeah, Trent Alexander-Arnold, number one spot. So I will run through that top ten list again very quickly. Number ten, I have Carl Walker. Number nine, Joe Gomez. Eight, Robinson. Seven, Dallow. Six, Ben White. Five, Udogi. Four, Ake. Three, Trippier. Two, Pedro Porro. And first, Trent Alexander-Arnold. Now, I do have a couple of people here which are a bit of an honourable mention. And, you know, it may be a bit unlucky to not make it and maybe just not good enough for the list. The first one I have is Robertson. And now this is just due to the fact he hasn't played enough games. Only played 12, started 10, he scored a goal. But if he was playing week in, week out, he would be the top two, top three spot, no doubt, because his ability is there. But 
due to injuries, hasn't been able to play a lot of games, but definitely deserves a little mention because we all know how good he can play, but hasn't played a lot. Another mention is Doty, the right back slash right mid for Luton. He's got a goal, five assists, and played really well for Luton this season. And the only reason that he didn't really make it is because he's a bit more of a right mid than he is a right back. Just because Luton set up with three at the back with a left, mid, and right, which are kind of right wing backs. But I feel like Doherty stays too much more forward which is what the right mid is supposed to do compared to a right back. So I thought slightly unfair to put him in. But let's say, you know, I said I counted him as a fullback. Where would I put him? Um, Doherty, I think he has been very good. Maybe ninth, possibly. Um, I have to look a little bit further into him. But maybe ninth is a fair play. But yeah, like I said, bit more of a right mid for me and not making the list. I also have Gusto. He's only got 13 starts, 4 assists. He's probably just misses out in that ability wise, but also doesn't have enough games for Chelsea. But he's done really well to replace Reese James, who just is so injury prone, man. It's sad to see, especially if you're a Chelsea fan. But I think Gusto deserves a mention for his good work at Chelsea. Estupinian as well, absolute quality. Would have definitely made the top 10 list if he kept his form when he plays games. But again, injuries keeping him out. He's only started 10, gotten two goals and three assists. But that just shows you there. Five goal contributions in 10 starts. The quality is there, but sadly this season hasn't been the one for him. Just getting injured. My last two mentions, I have Moreno. He's played 12, started 7, gotten two goals. I think lately he's been very good for Aston Villa. Completely solid for Wendigne, who has been out. But again, not enough games, just like Robertson. But does have the quality to, if he can start and continue playing regularly. He could make that list next season, but for this one, currently doesn't make it. Who I just mentioned, Digne, I believe he's had he's played 22 games. This is the only one where I don't have it on screen. So I think it's around 21, 22. And yeah, again, he just misses out. I don't watch a lot of Aston Villa, but, but I do know Digne is quality. And for out of all these mentions out of all these mentions I would put him 11th just missing out on top spot because Aston Villa has been very good and defensively been very decent and Digne playing a lot of games for him and contributing to them being very good at the back and going forward just misses out. That's the end for the podcast today I really appreciate you listening please, it would be very much appreciated. You give me five stars, follow me, do whatever you can. If you enjoyed it, you may as well. And I shall see you in the next episode, which should be out in a couple days. So peace.